It's been a while and we are back. We're back into the book of Romans. We took a break for Lent and for Easter and now we're back and I'm excited to be back. Uh, If you recall where we left off, we're talking about a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christian church in the big city of Rome. And what was going on? Let's do a quick recap of where we've been so far. So today we're going to be about at the end of chapter 3. We're actually going to be at the end of chapter 3 for a few weeks. What Paul's dealing with here is, well, he he spends a lot of time in the book of Romans working out this tension within Judaism. Remember what's talking about this? The tension. The, remember he has this big line, uh, God's righteousness has been revealed. His righteousness. What does that mean? Remember, on the one hand, and we have a little slide I think we put together, and sometimes the visual helps to reinforce it. On the one hand, he's told Israel, right, I will bless you. And again and again, multiple covenants. We call them covenants, great promises. Throughout the Old Testament, God has so told his people... I will bless you. But then at the same time, God is not only a loving and merciful God, but he is also a just God. And he says, because I am a just God, I will punish evil. And we did a whole sermon on the wrath of God and why that's a good thing. We want that wickedness and evil in the world to be punished. That's a good thing. What's not a good thing or when we don't like it, is when we get honest with ourselves and say, you know what, there's evil, there's wickedness, there's darkness in here. And if God's going to be just, that means he has to punish that too. And so Israel's living in this tension. He promised to bless us, but he also promised to punish wickedness. And a, a, a long line of prophets came. Prophets speak the word of God and they warned Israel if you disobey God, if you, if you discard Torah, the law, if you, if you live like all of the other nations, you're going to incur God's wrath. And lo and behold that's the story. Then um, invading army after invading army has come in and has, 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 occupying force after occupying forces has, has been present in Israel. And many of the prophets say, you see, this is God's wrath. The prophets interpret this. This is God's wrath against you. And so fast forward to the time of Jesus now. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. The prophets have been silent. But what is still going on? Occupation. This time it's Rome. Rome is occupying Israel. Surely this is a form of God's wrath, God's punishment that he promised. But he also promised to bless us. So Paul's going to spend a lot of time, and later on he's going to go on about uh, what uh, is all Israel to be saved, and we're going to deal with all that when we get there. Uh, But one of the main things Paul is, is so excited to tell his fellow Jews about, Paul's a Jew, so Paul has this living with this same tension too. Is God going to bless us, or is God going to punish evil, because if he doesn't do either one, he's not righteous, right? He's, he, he's not true to himself. He, 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 he's lied. If he doesn't punish us or if he doesn't bless us, then he's lied, and, and that can't be, right? Well, how Paul, his beautiful gospel that he proclaims is that God has made sense of this on the cross of Christ. You can't see it very well, but the arrow, I will punish evil. Now, God punishes the evil in my heart, not by bringing it upon me, but by taking it upon himself, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, on the cross, takes 
the punishment. And then he can call his people to him now, free and forgiven. He is, Paul is so excited. But remember, too, what from the very beginning, when God started making promises, when he promised to Abraham, he's, I'm going to use you to bless all the nations, the entire world. And so now what we see happening in the New Testament church is, lo and behold, God's promises are coming true through this message right here. This message right here, it's not just resonating with people who knew the prophets and who knew the Jewish law and all that. It's resonating with non-Jews all over the Mediterranean world. The Holy Spirit is using the story of Jesus to convict people of their sin and to, just, and, and, and to fill their hearts and to change their lives. And they're coming together in these things called churches to worship, but not just to worship, not just for an hour a week. Oh, no. They're living together. They're doing life together. And and so the second thing that Paul's going to spend a lot of time dealing with is racism. It's racism. He doesn't call it racism, but that's what we would call it today. You see, they were such, they were two diametrically opposed people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentile, I mean, just not non-Jew. Two diametrically opposed people groups. And now they're mixing, not only mingling for, like I said, just an hour a week. No, 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 no. They're doing life together. And you can, if, you, if you've known, if you have any dear friends or family members that are from another culture, you know that that can be a problem. Right? And so a lot of Paul's time, not just in Romans, but in all of his letters, most of his letters, probably all of them, trying to think of one where he doesn't have to deal with this issue at least a little bit. He's dealing with this, the tension between Jews and Gentiles. Now you may think, what does this have to do uh, with me? Actually, a lot. It has to do a lot with you. Go back to that, that image of God. Is he going to keep his promises? Is he, is he going to bless me or is he going to punish me, right? Well, you grow up, uh, if you grow up in the church or uh, singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. You see bumper stickers all the time. Smile, what? Jesus loves you. Smile. God loves you, right? And so we grow up with sort of this idea, and it is true as the day is long, but how has that now been transposed onto a, uh, a culture that believes in Christianity nominally at best? How has that been transposed? If they believe in God at all, they kind of see him. You know what I think most people who aren't uh, just kind of casual, maybe they check the box Christian because they're not Muslim or Buddhist. You know, in my experience, you know how I think they, I think they have some kind of vision of God as like a hippie in the sky. He's like, can I say that? A hippie? I won't show a hands of who used to be hippies, but. I won't incriminate. I got a couple already. I won't. Uh, I wasn't going to incriminate anybody. No, no but uh, hippie, like a long beard and like the colored spectacles. And he's like, you know, peace, man. That's cool. Hey, have fun. Whatever you want to do, just don't hurt anybody. Peace, love, and joy. Right. I think that's the idea a lot of people have about God. But the problem with that idea of God is our world is anything but peaceful. It is anything but loving. It is anything but joyful. So if that is who your God is, what on earth is he doing in charge of this world? That is not the kind of God you should desire to know 
or to worship. But you have this problem, kind of like, like the Jews did, that Paul's writing to. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but I am not lovable. I know my heart. I know my thought life. I know what I am capable of. Tension, right? Tension. You see, this letter is every bit as relevant to you and to me today as it was to this new Christian community some 2,000 years ago. Well, let's open the scriptures and let's turn to chapter 3 of Romans. I'm going to read in verse 21. And I'll read until we get to chapter 4. Would you please bow your hearts with me and let's ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you, Lord, and we are, we are thankful. We are thankful, like we said with the kids up here, we are thankful for the gifts that you have given. We are thankful for the church, the capital C Church, universal. We are thankful, Lord, for this church, our church family, and all that it means to us. We are thankful, Lord, for the cross of Christ. We are thankful, Lord, for the empty tomb. And we are thankful for this, your inspired word. May you speak to us, Lord, through your servant Paul, through me, but ultimately, who is Paul? And for sure, who is Adam? Speak to us through the Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go to the text. In 321, Paul says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The puzzle has been solved, right? This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that, re the law that requires works? 
No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is God's word. We see right there in that last paragraph, I want to zero in on today, we see three implications of what it means for us that salvation is a gift, is a free gift by grace alone. And it's not by works. You can't be good enough. It's through faith alone. Three implications of that very important point that Paul's making, that very important theology. First, we see that boasting has now no place with us. Second, we see that salvation is available to everyone, including now, including people who are very different from us. People who think differently, act differently, look differently, vote differently than you. Salvation is available to all. And thirdly, we see that we still obey, that we still uphold the law. Over the course of the next three weeks, we'll, pick on, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with each one of those in turn. Today, I want to zero in on the first one, boasting. Now, I don't know that I have ever seen outright boasting in the church. Now, now before you say, oh, raise your hand and want to give me some examples, uh, I mean somebody uh, coming up here, I mean somebody coming up here and saying, nice job, soloist, but you know I would have done it a lot better. I mean, Right? Or somebody, you know, in the middle of my sermon saying, would you get out of here already? I can do this right, you know. But, or something like that. Or saying, I'm so much better than so-and-so. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't ever remember something that overt happening. And why? Why? It's because, you know, we all see that and we just know it's repulsive. Boasting is ugly. Nobody likes boasting. It's pride blasted on a billboard. Right? And it's, it's, it's just gross. It's just gross. It's one of the reasons our president gets in as much trouble as he does. Right? Even, even, even some of his supporters will say, man, would you just be nicer? <laughs> you know? Because why? Because, because of the way that he talks to people or talks about people or to people who think differently or who, who have a different point of view than him, right? It, it, we, we just have this instinct to be repelled by that. We don't like it. And that's a good thing. That's a good instinct. But C.S. Lewis says, pride is one of those things that we're really quick to see in other people and to call it out and to be repulsed by it, but we're really, really slow to see it in our own life. We're really, really slow to look at the things that we do and say, yeah, I'm pretty prideful. Not very many of us do that. Well, let's get a little bit uncomfortable this morning and let's do that just a little bit. 
Because as Paul says, boasting is excluded for us. Boasting, I have just a couple things I want you to write down, and then I left you a bunch of space to write down whatever, whatever else the Spirit leads you to write down uh, as we go on through the sermon on your notes page. But I do want you to write a couple things down, and the first one is that this. Boasting is poisonous to discipleship. It's a lot of other things. It's a sin. It's an affront to God. It's a poison to discipleship. Boasting is poisonous to discipleship. And then the next point I wrote down, just to make sure we're all on the same page, speaking the same language, I just wanted to tell you what, I, what I'm talking about when I say discipleship. Discipleship, go ahead with the next one, is how we become like Jesus. My assumption, people go to church for all kinds of different reasons. My assumption is, if you're here at worship, if you're here in church, it's because uh, you have had life-changing experience, you put your faith in Jesus, and you want to be more like him. That's my assumption. That's my starting point. That's where I'm working from. Okay? So discipleship is how that happens. Discipleship is the process. Here at St. Andrew, we've sort of uh, defined discipleship, if that's the right word. Uh, We understand discipleship, let me put it that way, as happening in three categories, or three arenas. You've heard me say this before. The first, well, connecting to God, connecting to God's people, connecting to God's world. The first, connecting to God. Oh, that may, okay, yeah. Mm, Okay. That's the one. Connecting to God is what? Worship. It's prayer. It's communing with God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit. This is what this means. We do this as a body, as a family, by worshiping together, although I hope you're connecting with God in lots of other ways throughout the week. But the one tangible kind of thing that we all do together as a church family is this, worship. Now the other thing, the next step is we connect to God's people. You've heard me say this before too. God saves individuals, but he never leaves them that way. He saves you into a family. He saves you into the church. So there are no Lone Ranger Christians. So we connect to God's people. The way that we manifest that here at St. Andrew is through life groups. And again, the same deal applies. I hope and assume that you're connecting with one another in other ways other than life groups. But that gives us a a unified starting point, these life groups. Essentially, it, we're doing life together. You know, you, you know what? It's not that complicated. It's just friendship. That's all we're talking about here. It's Christian friendship. It's Christian friendship. It's missing in a lot of churches. It can't be missing here. We, ha- we have to work on it. And then thirdly, connecting to God's world. You've heard me say this too before. God didn't save you for you. Who did God save you for? Say again. Himself. Thank you. God saved you for himself, for his glory. And so now it is not okay to just huddle up in a lifelong, what do they call them, holy huddles, or a lifelong jam session, Jesus and me, whatever? No. We are God's agents 
and representatives to a world that does not know him. And so connecting to God's world is not an option. And that's what we do with our foster outreach. When we bring the foster families and the foster kids in to bless them, to minister to them, to form relationships with them. And again with the other two. I hope and trust and expect that you are connecting with the non-believing world in other ways throughout the week as well. But as a family, that's what we do. As a church family, that's what we do. We do these three things. We worship together, we do life groups together, and then we serve together once every couple months by hosting foster families. Well, what does this have to do with what Paul is talking about and with boasting? Well, I've told you, boasting is poison to discipleship. And if this is our discipleship model, connecting to God, God's people, God's word, you'd better believe that the devil is going to use boasting to inject that poison every chance he gets in every arena. How does that work? Let's look at it one at a time. Connecting to God. I even told the kids, faith can be a source of pride. Faith can be a, a, a thing that people boast about, believe it or not. Connecting to God. Maybe you attend church every Sunday. You've never missed. You study the Bible. You're in Sunday school. Maybe you're teaching Sunday school. You give money. You give 10% gladly. Heck, you know what? You probably give 12%. You're, this, you're that holy. What more could God want from you? You surely must be on his good side now, right? After all, you're present, you're listening to him, and you're giving to him. What more could he want? All that logic falls on its face, and I'll show you in one quick example how that falls on its face. Guys, imagine you just got married, and you married a lady who wants to be a homemaker. Okay? Cool. You go to work, you show her how much you love her most days after work, well, you come home. Wow. And then when you're sitting around the house or around the, the dining room table, when she talks, so long as the ball game's muted, you listen. Sometimes you nod. And on really special days, you even ask follow-up questions to get her to talk more, right? Oh boy, she must just be bubbling over with affection for you, right? And then not only that, not only that, you go to work and you make money. You know what you do with some of that money? You let her buy food and you let her eat it. Wow! You must really love your wife to be present with her, to listen to her, and to feed her. My goodness gracious, I show my dog more love than that. Those who know that they've been saved by grace alone through faith alone. They understand, you see, that this is silly because being present in worship, reading my Bible, studying and giving generously, yea, sacrificially back to the Lord is the very least I can do compared to all that he has done for me, compared to the misery, the agony, the blood shed for me on the cross. 
and I think I'm something because I show up, read a couple verses, and give some of my money back to him. Only a boastful heart would believe that. What about when it comes to God's people, to connecting with God's people? How do we boast when it comes to fellow believers? There's, there's two real ways. It's, it's, it's usually a step-by-step progression. First, we, we, we prefer ourselves. And secondly, preferring ourselves isn't bad by itself. I'll tell you why. But then the second step to that is, is that we write others off. We prefer ourselves, and then we write others off. This is what Paul's dealing with when he's talking here with the Romans. You know, the Jews, they thought that surely they were superior to the Gentiles. After all, they had uh, the right of circumcision. They had the law of Moses, the dietary laws, the clothing laws, the, the feast days and the ceremonies. They had all of these things that marked them out as being different, special, holy. They were God's people, different from the world. So yeah, it's great that all these Gentiles are coming in and believing in Jesus, but really it's preferable, it's preferable to be like us, right? And the, and the Gentiles, on the other hand, many of them, they didn't know the, who the patriarchs were, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't know that. They didn't know about the covenants that God had made with Noah, Abraham, David, they didn't know about all that. But you know what? They'd heard about Jesus. They'd heard about Jesus, and they'd had an experience. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they believed. Some of them spoke in tongues. Some of them had visions that were just amazing. Some of them experienced miraculous healings. They were on fire for the Lord, we might say, in today's jargon. And these Jews, with all their laws and rituals and do this and don't do that and eat this and don't do that, that's just all stuffy. Surely it's preferable to be spirit-filled and on fire, right? And they, they butted heads. Oil and water, they are not mixing well. Do we do this today? You can do this with your heads. That was one of those questions where, yeah. We do. We do this today. I prefer my opinions. I prefer my lifestyle. I prefer my style of music. And on and on and on and on and on. And when I do that, it's not wrong to have preferences, but when I insist upon my preferences or when I speak about my preferences as if they are inherently better than your preferences, what am I doing? What am I saying to you? I don't need you. You aren't as valuable. You aren't as important. I'm writing you off. You may look around this room and think, I don't have much in common with these people. What do you mean, pastor? You expect me to be best friends with these folks? I mean, some of them are quirky. <laughs> some of them are weird, right? Don't, no, nobody look. Just straight ahead. <laughs> me, I'm quirky. I'm weird. But the same that was true for this Jew-Gentile mix in Rome is true for us. You see, if you are in Christ, if someone is in Christ, you have more in common with that 
quirky weirdo than you do with your best friend or closest family member who is outside of Christ. Let me say that again. The person who is in Christ, you have more in common with that person, that quirky weirdo, than you do with your best friend or your closest family member who is outside of Christ. If you write off the people in this room, if you write off this church family, if you do not need them in your life as your friends, I'll go a step further, if you do not make space for them in your life as your friends, that is boasting. I can do this Christian walk on my own. I don't need you or them. That is boasting. And that is a sin. That is poison. Lastly, we'll close with this one, connecting to God's world. You would think that serving the less fortunate or reaching out to the poor would be something, there would be no pride in that. There would be no boasting in that. After all, I'm giving of myself, right? I'm emptying myself to help these people, but you would be wrong. People boast in this regard as well. In at least three ways, they boast by, number one, refusing to do it. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to share my faith. Well, that's simply boasting because of what I've already said, that it's not your faith. You are not saved for yourself. You are not your own. You were bought at a much high price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. The second way we boast when we go to connect with God's world is that we judge others in our heart. You've probably, you, you've probably seen it. I, I look at that person and, and I think, you've got to be honest with yourself here because none of us do this out loud, at least not very often. We don't do it out loud, but we think, They've really made a mess of their lives. They have made worse decisions than I have. I've made better decisions. See how that goes? It is never quite that simple. I know a woman, I won't get into details of who she is, but I know a woman whose life is a mess, She's lost several kids, foster care system, not foster care system, they've been, they're gone. They've been taken away. She can't get it, get it together. She's strung out on drugs all the time. You would look at this woman and you would say, what is the matter with you? Why don't you get it together already? If you knew anything, if you spent any time with her family, you might hear that she was first given drugs by her uncle when she was 12 years old. Those in the room thought it was funny. You see what I mean? Boasting is poisonous. You cannot love somebody that you are boasting over, even if it's just in your heart and without words. You can refuse to connect to God's world. You can, you can connect 
where you can judge the people that you are connecting with, or you can grow impatient with them. Why doesn't so-and-so accept Christ already? The church has been praying for him. I've been sharing Christ with them. What's the matter with this person? Surely if they were as smart or as wise as I were, you don't say this part either, right? You stop after the, what's the matter with them, right? But then, surely if they were as smart or as holy or as wise as I am, they would have gotten it by now and they would have accepted Christ. Hmm. Churches do this too. Why don't our neighbors come to our church? They know we're here. We've even knocked on their doors a few times four years ago and invited them. What more could they want? Oh, the problem isn't with us, is it? No, it's not with me. You see? Boasting is poisonous to discipleship. This is why I love, I love, I love, I love our foster outreach that God has brought to us. He's, he's put this ministry on our lap, in our laps, and he is, he is so using it to bless us. You see, it exposes. This foster ministry, when you're working with these kids, when you're working with these families, it exposes all of those areas of boastfulness, you see. What do you feel when you're with the, 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 the five-year-old who is just a Tasmanian devil, who just will not settle down, who's just spastic? What do you feel when you're confronted with an eight-year-old and she spits at you? What do you feel when you're holding a two-month-old on a feeding tube because her mom got drunk every day when she was in the womb? Do you feel, do you become impatient with the tornado kid? Maybe you become angry at that eight-year-old spitting at you. Do you become despondent? Do you despair? Do you write off that two-year-old? What chance in life does she possibly have? Let me show you what the gospel does. I'm going to finish with this. The gospel, if you have eyes to faith, if you, for, uh, if you have eyes of faith, if you know what Jesus did for you, then you see in each and every one of these kids, you see you. You see yourself. Were you not impatient, unruly, an out-of-control, wild animal in the face of God, ignoring him, running from him for how long? Weren't you just like this kid? Did you not spit in the face of God with your blatant sin? You knew it was wrong and you did it anyway because you didn't care. Were you not helpless, harassed, abused by the devil, left for dead, utterly hopeless, unless someone would reach down and do the impossible, lift you up, save you, and change your story forever. That's who you are. That's who I am. Where then is boasting? Where? It is excluded. 
pray with me. God, because we are imperfect, this thing that we call boasting, this thing that your word decries, says it's an abomination, we find that it keeps creeping up into our lives. It's, it's, it's everywhere we are tempted with it. We are tempted to compare ourselves to others, to look down upon others, to grow impatient with others. Father, we utterly depend on your grace if we are ever to steer a different course. So, Father, we throw ourselves at your mercy. We want to obey you, God. We want to respond to your word this morning and be people who never boast again. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, won't you help us to do just that? And we will give you all the glory, thanks, honor, and praise forever and ever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.